Hello everyone and welcome to the GMS Magazine podcast, the RPG Interview Room. I am Paco Garcia and today an interview with Jason Eric Nelson from Legendary Games. One thing that an awful lot of authors tell me, an awful lot of people tell me when they come into the RPG world publishing business, is that it is very hard to actually do some marketing. And I have been very, 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 very critical of the marketing that most RPGs, companies and uh, individuals do, because quite frankly, it tends to be absolutely atrocious really seriously bad but also it is very dismal to see sometimes how people organize their sales and how hard it is to get sales for products that are actually very good indeed and therefore getting the notoriety getting to to actually make a living out of publishing role-playing games is is pretty damn hard now jason has done very well with legendary games and they keep coming out with some very very good products after another and he's very good at what it is to maximize sales to be able to get the right um, sort of avenues to get your games out and, and and to sell them and to sell them hopefully at a profit as well because otherwise was what the point right so i decided i would it would be a very nice idea to actually have a word with him and and see what are some of his secrets and what what exactly does he do what advice does he have to give to people who want to sell their games but they are struggling to actually get the food out there and he had an awful lot to say and an awful lot very very well worth listening to i really hope you enjoy the interview as much as i did when i was talking to him and i hope that you can get something very useful out of it i am quite sure you will but uh, without further ado jason nelson hello jason welcome back to the show sir uh, how how lovely having you around uh, once again because it's been a long time since since we last chatted very long time it has, I think, a, oh, a year, about a year and a half, I think. Yeah, since you were having your last or latest Kickstarter. Yep, that that one actually was two Kickstarters ago. We actually have around another one since then. Um, the one that's one we did most recently this was like last spring was uh, for kids. I should say it's a, a it's a whole adventure saga for beginning gamers. We ran it for for Pathfinder for fifth edition because we thought it'd be great to help bring in new people to the hobby because. That's one of the things. If you're trying to succeed in business, you can't just only sell to the same customers. You want to try and you know grow the hobby and grow the market and get more people on board. And so we ran a whole whole project. I actually have one here. We're not talking all about this project here, but just him, you know, the Trail of the Apprentice, and it's a 300-page adventure saga. And it went really well, went very nicely. People seemed to really respond well to it. The Kickstarter was success, and it's it's sold well since. I even ran a um, a D&D summer camp at a local game store here in Seattle and the kids had a great time like a week long thing of teaching them how to play that look that book looks um, very heavy by the way um well, it's, it's not that thick see? it's not too bad no it looks very solid um, I mean that looks like a kind of book that you hit somebody with and, and, and you can do some damage exactly um yeah you know, that's one of the ways that you know well, we what we were talking about earlier was the idea of you know how is it you want to broaden your 
ability to sell things yes. if you're in the, in the gaming business. And, and certainly crowdfunding is one of those ways. And we can talk about that as we go on and, and finding different kinds of projects to appeal to different audiences. So, so tell me a little bit, first of all, about what is your um, overall strategy from, from the legendary games point of view to, to maximize your, your sales uh, across board? What, what, how do you do it? Well, you know, it's evolved a lot over time. So Legendary Games, you know, we started back in 2011. I took over in 2012. Um, but we started off as a bunch of guys who were regular Paizo freelancers. We all worked on the Adventure Pass and the books and stuff. And we started saying, hey, we've got lots of additional ideas for things that we can do to make those Adventure Paths even better. And so we would write these PDF products that would be supplemental adventures or magic items or monsters or spells. Things would work well with the Pathfinder APs that we had worked on. And so that kind of a strategy is sort of, you know, you know, I guess, you know, number one, find another product that someone else is doing that's successful and find a way to make your products work well with it. And so for us, it was very natural and very easy because we were all, like I said, guys who were working with Paizo frequently. And so it was, it was stuff that was kind of right in our wheelhouse. And PDF publishing is definitely the lowest risk end of the uh, end of the pool mm -hmm. as far as trying to put things out there and so find a product that's evergreen and find a way to to work with that so that was where our company started and as we continued on we thought okay so that's going pretty well we've you know got people who are you know customers of these evergreen products for pathfinder but what else could we do and so kind of the next phase from that was okay what are other areas of rules that we can explore and expand? So the same is kind of number one, but instead of just writing things for a very specific type of product, in that case, you know, adventure paths or, or adventure campaigns that follow a similar theme. So you could do stuff with, you know, Carrying Crown or with horror game. You could do stuff with Jade Region or Eastern style fantasy. Then we started moving on to rules type products. But all right, how about, you know, kingdom building, mass combat, and we can build out you know, more rules, more options, more expansions. So I guess step two is going to a little more general kind of core rules type product and broadening out the rule space and things that you do. So again, it's still kind of marrying yourself to a successful product as your baseline, your jumping off point, but it's broadening the scope of what you want to do. But again, that's, you know, you're still operating kind of in someone else's playground, which you know, look, if you're doing licensed products, which most third-party publishers are, um, you're going to be doing that anyway. So if you don't want to create your own separate game, which you certainly can, and both people on a smaller scale and on a larger scale can can build out, you know, Green Ronin has got their whole fantasy age system, which kind of grew out of Roll20, or sorry, True20, and they've been able to broaden that out. So now they are, they're feeding sales of their own game engine. So certainly that's a great direction to go if you're able to build up to it, but they've also been at it for 20 years. Mm. <laughs> that sort of building takes quite a while. Um, so to get back to people who are, you know, don't have quite that much, you know, road time and on ramping to be able to build up their business. I think your next choice is, do I want to get into the print business? Mm. Um, because print, you know, it's another avenue because there are, are customers out there who won't buy PDF products, they only want print products, or who want to have the option to have both. They want to have their stuff on their laptop or their tablet, 
but they also want to have a, a paper copy. And if you want to be able to get into other areas of, of sales, if you want to potentially get into bookstores or hobby stores, if you want to have something to sell at a convention, in theory, you could sell PDFs at a convention, but it's going to be a little harder. Um, if you want to be able to, excuse me, sell to a larger market, then at some point you're going to need to consider print publishing. So that was kind of our next stage in 2013 was when we first started putting out print products. And obviously there are, are different ways to go about that, but the, we got on with the Amazon Create Space and you know, Drive-Thru RPG and the print-on-demand services because, again, this lets you get your foot on the door without a huge monetary outlay. So in this case, the third you know, strategy is you know, getting into print. So how deep do you want to get into it? It requires more you know, effort in terms of layout. It requires more effort in terms of, well, how am I going to sell this thing? Do I want to you know, only sell it through the print-on-demand venues? You go through Amazon CreateSpace, you can put stuff up on the Amazon store. If you want to put stuff through you know, drive-through RPG, you can have the print-on-demand products sold through there. If you have your own website, that was another thing which we added, sorry. Uh, number four would be having your own site. It's all well and good to have you know, your sales through other vendors, but they all take a cut. So if you want to maximize the revenue you can get, well, certainly you can sell things yourself. You don't mm. have to pay somebody 20, 30, 50% off of whatever you're making. Um, but you've got to find some way to drive marketing back to your site. And so then you start uh, having to bind your own personal talent into going from just a writer or a coordinator of other writers to a publicist, a marketer. You need to find a way to get yourself in front of people and how do you get your name out there? When is it a good idea to give away product? And that's a, that's also a tough thing to swallow. So, but I made this stuff. I don't I don't want to give it away. I want to sell it. I want somebody to buy it. But that advertising, there's those values to getting your name out there in front of people. And mm -hmm. so, number five is learn that giving things away can be valuable. <laughs> and that seems a little counterintuitive, but in terms of marketing. You can you know, sponsor conventions, whether with print product, with free you know, PDF coupons, however it may be. You want to get your logo out in front of people. You want to get your products in people's hands so they can look at them and say, that is pretty good. I do like that. And as a, as a side thing, if you have you know, gotten a certain amount of print product and you are giving them away, that's an advertising expense. And so in a curiously backwards sort of way, you can actually – you know make a certain amount of you know money for your own business in the sense of by uh, increasing your business expenses, your paper expenses by an advertising expense of giving away product, which you can then deduct from your profit or from your revenue in terms of how you file your taxes. So there are there are fringe benefits to being generous. No, that, uh, that, though, that though can be a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because I yes. know uh, as, as a reviewer myself, um, mm -hmm. I, I personally take it quite seriously whenever anybody gives me anything for, for review, you know, when, when I get mm -hmm. a free book. And I, my personal intake on that one is that if I like your product, then I'm going to talk about it until the end of days. If mm -hmm. I don't like about it, then I am going to talk about it a little bit, 
But mostly I'm going to talk to you about it and why I didn't like it in private, because I like the mm-hmm. idea that I can be, uh, I, I can help the person become, you know, help make the product better, hopefully, or at least understand mm-hmm. it better. But I also know that an awful lot of people have given away an awful lot of games or books or whatever, and they have never, ever seen anything back in return. Not a review, not a mention, not a nothing. How do you manage that? Well, you know, that's just be a problem on um, on one bookshop, Drive Through RPG RPG. Now they have this uh, featured reviewer thing, and so you would post the product, and it would automatically be sending out, you know, ten, twenty, thirty, forty copies of your thing to their featured reviewers. And I almost never got reviews from those people, and a lot of people complained about things like, "Look, we're giving a bunch of stuff away. I don't know how these you know featured reviewers are getting their their status, but." It feels like there's a sucking up free product and not doing anything. And eventually they put in basically a toggle box where you could, you know, choose to send such reviewers or not send it to reviewer the reviewers. And I stopped, you know, once they put that in there, we don't send stuff out in sort of a general broadcast to reviewers. If there are specific reviewers that we, uh, you know, have worked with before that we know will do reviews, you know, on a somewhat regular basis, we're a lot more willing to, uh, to give them product to review. But if you haven't shown that you're willing to you know, put in the road time and give us uh, give us your attention, then then that's not necessarily worth uh, worth our while to go chasing someone just in the hope that, you know, maybe somewhere down the road they might. So I guess that's sort of a note to reviewers out there. Look, if you want to be involved, then be involved. Hmm. You don't necessarily have to be doing, you know, twenty reviews a week like the, the most hardcore, like the Enzyme guys yeah. in Germany. He's he is a, a reviewing machine. Yes. And, you know, he tells them like it is. He loves a lot of things. He doesn't love everything. and But he is always detailed and thorough. Mm. But you don't have to write, you know, a thousand-word review. Even if you write, you know, a paragraph, you know, that's, you know, can be helpful, especially in – I'm going to talk a little bit about um, Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um so Amazon, as you know, people know, is, is very, very automated, and it's based a lot on you know, mathematical algorithms. And Amazon is a funny place to sell things. It's very hard. We, we've tried different methods of selling things on Amazon, and one of those is through Amazon Creates. And their store links through to Amazon, and in a way, it's very simple, because once you post it up there, it's just out there. It's very difficult to kind of push your product on Amazon out into the stream, as it were, um, but things that catch can catch and catch very well. Um, we have also tried sending you know, physical product, you know, hardbacks that we've ordered, and sending those into Amazon, having them in their storage. And those sold a little. That was even harder to get kind of out into the stream. We had relatively few sales with that to the point where we eventually had them you know, send the books back, and we found other methods to use to... Uh, to try to sell those books because we just the the do-it-yourself marketing tools they have on the publisher facing side of Amazon are interesting enough they exclude books okay. so if I were selling bracelets or you know or you know I don't know watches or shirts or something like that there are a lot of do-it-yourself tools that you can use to um, get banner ads and pop-up things and things on the Amazon site and you can you know pay for pay for clicks, but um, media like books and DVDs that sort of thing are specifically excluded from those. And so we worked with them for a year and could never find a good way to get stuff 
to catch in the stream of it. With the CreateSpace, it's kind of fire and forget. You post it, it's up there. Some of your products will catch and do well. You know, you might sell you know, a dozen, two dozen, three dozen copies you know, in a month. Some of your products, you know, they'll sell a few here and there, but it requires no effort. And so once you keep putting products up there, then, you know, after a while, our Amazon sales have gone from, you know, when we first started out, you know, we'd sell maybe a couple dozen. Nowadays, we usually sell, you know, over 200 books a month on Amazon. That's impressive. That's not 200 of each, but that's 200 total. And, and that's, I guess, I guess it would be up to point number six. How do you market your product? You market your product by making more product. You know, nothing sells old product like new product. The idea of continually having yourself out there in and visible is the best way to sort of build some sort of market visibility. You can't just, you know, post at one place and hope people will find it, but you continue posting new things, you refer back to old things, and you keep getting your name and your brand and your logo out there. So, and you make sure that your name is, you know, is in your... I guess you'd say your searchable text. So again, go back to Amazon, put your company name in your keywords, put your company name as the author on all products. You know, make sure, and if you have an author bio, make sure the company name is in there. You want to make sure that uh, you're as findable as you can be. And I can't claim to be any kind of, you know, search engine optimization expert, but those are fairly basic things that you want to make sure to get there so the people if they find one of your products, that they can find another. Because that can sometimes be a trick. So, okay, they might find one, but if that's the only product, then they haven't become a customer. They've just bought something. And you want to make sure that they come back for more. Um, we talked a little about Kickstarter earlier, and Kickstarter is a funny thing, too, as it comes to the idea of selling your product. Because with any project, and Kickstarter doesn't necessarily have to produce a, a print book, but if we're in the RPG business, that's usually the end goal. Mm. So you got to think about, all right, how many books do I need? How many people have, have ordered the PDF? How many people have ordered a print book? If I've done it in different versions, if I have a, a Pathfinder version and a 5e version, if I have a deluxe version, how many do I sell? And, or how many do I go and get? And as you look at the, the relative success of your Kickstarter, you've got to really kind of judge carefully. Number one, how much do I want to pay? And number two, how long am I willing to wait to get that money back? So, you know, as an example, the the um, you know the big Kickstarter that we um, big Kickstarter we've done was called Mythic Mania. We did it ourselves. We uh, partnered up with uh, Cobalt Press and Rogue Genius and Dreamscard, and we made three hardback books. This is just one of them. Mm -hmm. And the Kickstarter went well. We raised over seventy thousand, um, and you know we made these three you know books around 300 pages each which was great and ambitious and wonderful but by the end of it we said okay and we're going to order a thousand copies of each okay well we spent you know of that 70 ish thousand dollars you know of course kickstarter takes their cut off the top it's about 10 percent mm -hmm. we spent thirty-two thousand dollars or so just on printing the books and so up to this point you say okay that was we ran that in 2014. We finally got the books in 2015. And, you know, I still have cases of the books. We actually have sold out of one of the books, but it took, you know, two years to do it. You know, two, the other two books, we still have a couple hundred copies of, uh, maybe about 150, 200 copies. Um, and so there was a huge outlay at the beginning 
which we had to wait quite a long time to make that money back. And if you don't necessarily have, you know, 10, 20, 30,000 in, in the bank waiting to buy a giant, you know, six pallets of books to get dropped off on your doorstep, then you have to consider it. Do I want to order all these ones up front to go back to the other one that I showed you, the Trail of the Apprentice? Hmm. So in this case, we had, through the Kickstarter, orders for, oh, probably um, around 200 or so of the Pathfinder version and then maybe 100 or the 5th edition version. I think it was. I'd have to go back and look at the exact numbers. But we'll just use that for a round number. Um, and so for that number of books it wouldn't really have been financially prudent to order a thousand copies because uh, when you're making a, a big print order from, you know, you have to think, how much am I paying per book? If I'm going to a, a Chinese printer, you know, a book that's around 300 pages will probably cost you around $10 per book to print. Um, but if you have to order a thousand, that's if you order a thousand of them, if you order only 500 of them, it still cost almost $10,000 because the that's just the way the printing business works. They've still got to get everything racked up. You've got to pay for these wet proofs and so on and so forth down the line. Plus, you have to deal with the vagaries of international shipping. With those mythic books, we got our ship pushed back like two months. I literally had six pallets of book arrive at my house the day before I left for Gen Con. Ouch. Um... And it was a logistical nightmare, oh, and uh, I could go on and on with that whole story. <laughs> but let's just say it it was not very convenient. Um, <laughs> that was very, very so, mild and polite way to put it. Yes. Um, but when you're dealing with international shipping, any number of things can cause your order to get bumped. And you're kind of at the mercy of that. So with Trail of the Apprentice, we said, okay, we don't really have enough orders to make it worth our while. And so we did that one as a print on demand. So the print on demand books for a 300 page book will cost you probably 15 to $17 a piece. And as you can see, just some example, here's a, uh, this is the mythic monster manual. This is 304 pages. Mm -hmm. So you can see how thick that is. Yeah. This is the trail of the apprentice. It's about the same number of pages, but look at the difference in the thickness. Mm. So your books will be a little bit different in terms of quality. The print-on-demand quality has come up a lot from where it used to be. It's not quite at the level of the, uh, of the high-grade Chinese printers, but it's, still, it's gotten to the point where it's pretty good. It's at the point where it, it now is good enough, and it makes it much more logistically feasible for you to offer a print option at a price point that makes sense for you and for the customer and not feel like you're pressured to take on something that's bigger than what your market really suggests it will support. You could probably eventually sell through, you know, your giant pile of books, but you might or might not. So I guess that's one thing to be careful of as a business owner is make sure you manage your expectations and your cost. Mm. Don't get excited because, oh, the Kickstarter finished, it funded, it's great success. Let me go spend all that money. Uh, the money will spend itself just fine. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to worry about that. Um, so it's good to be careful. So part of making money and marketing yourself is managing your own mindset 
about what it is that you're buying, what it is that you're selling. So don't overbuy unless you're pretty sure that you've got a, a good, you know, a good track and a good channel, you know, laid down for how it is you're going to sell mm -hmm. whatever it is you're putting out these capital costs for. So I think that's one thing that that newer people in the business, including me a couple of years ago, don't always think all the way through. And so, but it's something that's very important to, uh, to consider how it is you want to you wanna manage that. Now, um, Jason, there is something that you you mentioned, but there is one thing that keeps coming to my mind as I as I listen to what you're saying, and it's all the things that um, people have to do. You know, all the marketing, all the uh, shipping, all the everything that is very very time consuming. So, what yes. happens? You know, because I have friends who are essentially they are a one man band. Yep. who do all the writing, all the layout, all the artwork, all the absolutely everything. And what they claim, rightly so, is that any time that they spend doing anything other than creating, they're not really creating anything, and thus it's difficult to put more product out there, and thus it's more difficult to sell new things. So basically what I'm trying to say is that doing your marketing is very time-consuming. How can you balance the creation aspect with the selling aspect? Well, it's uh, my uh, my wife, who's a, a great advisor and a great you know business mind. She says that you got to think about the balance of working in your business versus working on your business. Okay. And so there are, as you say, it, there are times I would love to be writing. That's what my kind of you know career and passion had had you know built up through, and I've been doing that for a long time. But there are also times I have to step back from that role and either, you know, both be managing other people and their contributions and handling all of that administrative scut work to make sure that everybody who is participating as part of the company is going to succeed. It. So part of it is you have to view it, I would say not as a necessary evil, but as an organic part of being a business person. If you want to just be a hobbyist and write what you want when you want, you can do that. But if you want to be a business that's going to have the potential to thrive and continue, you need to understand that's part of the business. You know, years ago, there was a, uh, a a man named Ross Perot was running for president in the United States, a third-party candidate. He was a wealthy businessman, a little bit like Donald Trump, but not nearly as extreme and crazy. <laughs> um, but he brought on board a, um, his vice presidential candidate, uh -huh. who was a retired U.S. Navy admiral, and he he got up in the vice presidential debate and he was just fumbling and inarticulate and just gave no presentation skills that no confidence to anyone and said, what is this guy? And I remember a conversation with a friend who said, it's really unfair that people are criticizing this guy just because he wasn't good on camera and talking to people. Well, you know what? That's part of the job mm. of being vice president is being in front of the camera and talking to people and being you know, forward facing out there to do what it is that you're trying to do. And in the same way, the difference between being you know, someone who writes for fun and somebody who's writing for businesses, that is part of the job. You know, if you want people to notice your stuff, you got to work at it. The, the old saying is, it's a sad dog that won't wag its own tail. And, so, uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to take this a little bit more to extreme because I have a couple of people in mind about this because um, 
Okay, what happens if you actually are a very good writer, a very good designer, mm -hmm. but it so happens that, you know, you are that vice um, presidential candidate. You, you are mm -hmm. a mumbling, fumbling buffoon, and you just don't know how to do marketing and are very, very bad about it. But you're very, very good at your job. Then what? Mm -hmm. Then you need to find somebody who can be your face. In the Bible, Moses, you know, leads the children of Israel out of Egypt. But when God first gives Moses the, the commission, Moses says, look, God, I'm not good at talking to people. I, I can't do it. God says, look, number one, I'll tell you what to say you can handle. Number two, fine. I'll give you your brother Aaron. He'll go with you. He'll speak for you. He'll be your face man. And the same kind of thing is if you realize you have the skills, you've got the talent to do good work, but you just can't get a handle on the, the social side of promotions – then you need to work to find someone to partner with you, someone who can be that more forward-facing person who can assist you with that. I have a business director, Rachel Ventura. She used to work for a Frog God Games. I brought her on board when we were getting ready to do our first Kickstarter because that was something that I didn't know how to do either technically or on a marketing level. And that her background is in marketing. I brought on somebody who knew more about it than I did. And so if you want to succeed in business, and there's a part that you aren't good at and don't feel like you can get better at, I guess on the first hand, I'd say you probably can get better at it. You just need to have the confidence to learn. Actually, you, also, you must have but, but find somebody who can help and find somebody who can be that side and can push for you. And so a lot of stuff Rachel interfaces with that I can just sort of delegate to her hey, can you handle this, 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 this? And that's part of her job with Legendary is to manage a lot of those interactions, not just from the the social attitude, but also because that frees up my time to focus more on the on the make work side of it. But I have to say, you, you were quite, in some ways, very lucky to get Rachel around because she is a machine. Yes. I mean, she is, she is rather, she's rather fantastic, I have to say. So Rachel's great, and if, it was uh, it was real funny because we first got to know each other because um, Legendary Games, oh, the guy who first helped us get organized, Clark Peterson, who ran Necromancer Games for a long time, he split with his old uh, partner, uh, Bill Webb, who then you know formed Frog God. But our website, the Legendary Games website, was originally built as like a sub page under the uh, under the old Necromancer <laughs> Games site. So about you know a year and a half later, or so. Um, Rachel working at Frog God was kind of clearing up a lot of their stuff. Said, "What's this legendary thing? I don't know what this is." And, and so she basically deleted our web page because she didn't even know what it was. And I said, "Got the web page gone? What the heck happened?" So I went and I talked to Clark. He didn't got in touch with Rachel, and so we started talking. She said, "Oh, I'm so sorry." She like put it back up, um, and then eventually we were able to kind of you know, disentangle them. But it was we had talked online, kind of off and on, just kind of you know. Uh, a humorous uh, start to that relationship, and then, and then we met the next year at uh, PaizoCon. But she was actually sitting at a table with Neil Spicer, who's, uh, mm -hmm. who's my partner at Legendary, kind of the uh, uh, executive silent partner in the background. And uh, and they were sitting at the table together. And Rachel didn't know that Neil and I knew each other. So Rachel was asking Neil, like, "What about this Jason Nelson guy? <laughs> what, what do you know about him?" And, and and Neil was kind of playing it coy and was was kind of saying, I wonder where she's going to go with this. <laughs> and I think it's kind of, and, and 
it was all pretty funny, but yeah, you know, it we we decided to to connect on that, and and she's been a, a great asset to kind of helping get things out there and using her connections to find ways to get stuff out there. And, and actually, it's a good segue back to thinking about how to market your books. And then when I was talking about us trying to do it yourself with marketing for the um, like those mythic book things on Amazon, mm-hmm. we were trying to do it ourselves, and we were just not getting a lot of traction. So we we've explored different options. And we have made contacts like Gen Con and other places. We and Rachel was able to kind of facilitate contacts with some book distributors. And a distributor is essentially someone who will sell your book for you. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a tricky you know, game to get into because depending on how much your book costs and how much the distributor takes, that may or may not be worth it to you. Um, so if it's a book that you've already paid for, great. And we eventually were able to connect up with a couple of distributors who were able to sell our books, and uh, including selling them, you know, into not just brick and mortar bookstores, but one of our distributors selling stuff into Amazon channels, and so they're paying us. Now they are only paying us like about forty percent of the book's cover price, give or take. Um, and so for things like the Mythic books, which we've already paid for and which we got at a fairly low per book rate from China, that's great. That's the stuff you know sitting around you know my house, you know, in cases the leftover books, but for something like the Trail of the Apprentice. That was one that we did to print on demand, and that print on demand printer actually has raised their price to the point where we actually, if we were gonna sell those into distribution, we would lose money on each book because the individual you know, unit price is high enough that given the cut we get back and the shipping we'd have to pay to get them to the distributor, you know, there's no profit in that. We can still sell them you know, from our own site or through drive-through or where, Ever, if it's a direct sale, if we want to take it to a convention, we can sell them that way. But depending on the, the deal you would get from a distributor, it's great if they're selling your books, but you can't make it up on volume if you lose money on every book. And so I had to tell that distributor after the kind of the first you know load that we sent them, once the, the printer had raised the price, said, we unfortunately won't be able to get any more of those. And so that one's going to be marked out of print. You know, it'd be great to sell more, but but again, be careful and be mindful of how what your costs are at each point, and not just the basic cost, but also your ancillary cost of you know, shipping, you know, shipping materials, time, whatever it may be. You said about like the one man band, these mythic books. Mm-hmm. I sent so many boxes through our local post office; they just got sick of seeing me, <laughs> and it was a big pain. It took a lot of time, and it was you know, here's a dozen here, here's a dozen there, here's forty on this day. You know, drafting my kids into helping out. You know, it's pack boxes of dad. Um, now, with the Trail of the Apprentice book, that's one that we did through the uh, print-on-demand service, and so I was able to send them directly through their service, which actually was very helpful because they were um, were an outfit that had printing shops in several different places, and so instead of spending you know eighty dollars to send a book across the world. Or even thirty for a cheaper one. I'm only spending, you know, a lot less than that. So, it it depends on it. It varies a lot by country, but um, you could definitely cut your shipping costs a lot if you've got a printer who is local to where you're going. Um, I also did use Amazon for the ones that we had printed ourselves and shipped into Amazon. Mm-hmm. They have a service where you can do fulfillments directly, and that shipping is a lot cheaper than doing it yourself. The problems with doing it yourself are not just the cost, but also the time the investment. Time. Because for foreign shipments, you've got to fill out all the customs forms, which 
is time consuming mm. and you know it's it's just one more thing as you said where you're spending time on something that's not creating new revenue yeah mm. you're you're doing stuff that needs to be done mm-hmm. but it's not something that's building current profit for you now some some a lot of the companies uh, they print everything in china and then have it all shipped and then they have to reship it. Uh, do yep. you do you think of having you know, for example, for you guys, uh, printing some books in the US and then having a company in in Europe that can also do the printing for you? Uh, is that a better option? Do you, uh, would sure you, do you explore it, that? It, and and that's like with the um, so uh, one bookshelves printers they work through Lightning Stores International and they've got a, a printer in the US. They've got a printer I think in England and I think one in Australia. And maybe one in Germany, I forget exactly, but because they have more local printers, the print you know cost is way down. So if I were to send you a copy of that Trail of the Apprentice book mm-hmm. from here to Spain, yep. um, just from my house, the based on my, my recollection, the print co- or the start the shipping cost would be around forty dollars, fifty forty five to fifty five dollars, I think. Yeah. Um. And people will often complain, why is shipping so much? Well, because <laughs> it is. Um, it's just that's, that's the price of doing business. Um, and Spain is not the most expensive place. I think the most I've, I've paid for shipping on a book is probably in the 70s. Um, and that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. That's for each package you send off. Um, you can... There are ways to economize things a little bit, but there's only so much you can do. For domestic shipping, you know, in the U.S., you can use what's called media mail, which is a little bit of a slower method of shipping. But as long as you're just sending books and prints and things like that, then that's a an economical way to do your shipping domestically. Um, for international, you're usually having to print ship things if they're over, I think, 13 ounces. Um, you have to send them really by a priority mail usually in a flat rate box is usually cheaper than sending it in your own you know your own container um but anyway long story short their international shipping is horrifically expensive mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's a, that's just a fact of life but it can be made a lot easier with print-on-demand services which is another appeal to that versus doing your own shipment to yourself now some people have also done like a bulk shipment to another country and then had someone in that country reship for them. Yep. <laughs> That's possible to do. It depends on how many you um, how many you have going. It also depends on how many books you've got ordered. So I could go back to the Kickstarter example. If you've got an order for eight hundred books or a thousand books, then you know, by God, yes, obviously you would make your order through um, through a Chinese printer because it just would make much more economic sense. Even if you've got an order for five hundred books, at that point you're probably very much worth your while to go ahead and, and pay up front for that and just manage the logistics on the back end. It's when you've got a smaller run that you've got to really kind of consider, okay, how much do I want to spend on this? And especially if you have different versions because each different version you do costs separately. Mm. So it's not, I could say, oh, I need you know 305th edition books and 400 Pathfinder books. If that's 700 books, no, those are two separate print runs. There are with their own costs. You can economize that a little bit if your backgrounds and your your 
basically the color and the black and white portions of the book are essentially identical because they can separate those out and then just print one over the other but even that you're you're saving some but you're not saving a ton um, wow. um anyway, now there is another you know, couple of ways that uh, we should probably talk about making money mm-hmm. um which don't involve printing um and one of those is a uh, uh, but they do involve money uh hero lab and virtual tabletops yeah so um, both of these are places where you can make money on products, uh, you know, over and above what you would make through your more conventional sales. But they involve a fair amount of outlay of time and money, and often aggravation, because there's a lot of demand for getting stuff into those venues, and there's not necessarily an equal amount of people willing and able to do the job. Which means that it may take a long time to get a thing into Hero Lab or onto a virtual tabletop. Once it gets there, hey, it sells, and great. Things move well. But the process of getting from here to there is agonizingly slow at times. And it's um, and frustrating. On one of our books that we got into Hero Lab, I think we went through four different people who were supposed to be converting it for Hero App before it finally got done. And each one had something happen. It was this, it was that. You know, I broke my arm. Uh, no, I can't do this anymore. I would just dropping off the face of the earth. <laughs> and, but if you have the ability and the focus field to get there, it certainly is worthwhile because, again, it's another venue for people to pay for your base product. The idea of... We're, we're in a niche industry. Mm. You know, we're not doing mass market paper bags. We're not doing you know TV, whatever. We're in kind of a niche of a niche. And third party, you know, publishers are even kind of a step, you know, nichier than that. But if you can give people more opportunities to find your product in different ways, then people can keep buying in different ways. And it may be the same customer who might buy your product more than once because they want to have it in PDF and in print, and they want the Hero Web files. Oh, and hey, they want to have the virtual tabletop files, Fantasy Grounds, or Roll20, or which, whichever your favorite you know, user of choices. We've had a lot more luck with Fantasy Grounds in terms of sales than we have with Roll20. I'm not sure why that is, but you know, it is what it is. And there isn't a strange variation in how much things sell differently. So back to the Amazon Create Space, for instance, our fifth edition products there, for the most part, sell you know more units per month than our pathfinder products do why that is i'm not entirely sure it may be that fifth edition customers are a little more in the mass market than say a pathfinder customer would be and so they'd be more inclined to buy things buy things from amazon who knows different sites obviously will sell different amounts we sell fifth edition product on the piso.com store it doesn't sell a lot on piso.com as you might guess, that's kind of a Pathfinder-centric, mm-hmm. but it does sell there. And so we do post up all of our 5th edition stuff at Paizo and at the Open Gaming Store and on our own site and on DriveThruRPG. <clears throat> but be ready for the fact that different things will sell differently in different places, and it won't always make any particular logical sense. Wow. Um, Jason... Thank you uh, so much for this. I mean, I, I feel like I could be talking to you for days uh, <laughs> w- without the need of stopping other than sleeping. Um, 
But uh, I mean, you, you've given us a huge amount of, of information to process, and, and at some point, I think it would be amazing to to have you back to talk more in detail about certain of the aspects that, that you have mentioned in here. As to, for example, I'm I'm fascinated by the idea of selling through Amazon and the difference between doing your own fulfillment and doing the fulfillment Amazon. So I, I think I hope that um, I will be able to invite you back. Uh, to, to, to hear more about your experience because everything, I mean, seriously, I have barely said a word because this is all fascinating. Well, yeah, I'll be happy to come back on. I, there was one other thing which I will drop down here, which is both a little shameless plug, but also a thing to think about, which is right now we are doing a big, um, massive bundle sales. We've got okay. product that we've released, you know, you know, recently, farther back, but um, we've been doing on the Open Gaming Store and Drive Through RPG this big bundle sale where we're selling like 60 PDFs for Pathfinder for $30 and 20 PDFs for 5th edition for $20. And so this is like over 2,000 pages of material for $50, which is, you think about, okay, I've got a, a product which is selling and there's a certain, you know, a surge at the beginning and then kind of the long tail of sales. But if you have enough product out there, you can combine it later on in a new way either in you know a compilation product or in a bundle type of sale which will may encourage people who didn't get it the first time or who say they might even have a couple of the products in the bundle would say that deal's so good i can't pass it up so you can also go to makeyourgamelegendary.com or look up for our bundles we got a bundle starting up on paizo tomorrow um and if you want to sample some legendary games product i'll invite you to go and check it out it's a ridiculous deal it's over 337 dollars with the product for you know 30 bucks of the pathfinder and about 100 and some odd dollars for the uh, fifth edition stuff but that's also a thing to think about you can't do it right when you're starting out but when you've been at the business for a while thinking about ways to repackage and resell the product you already have mm. is always worth thinking about so check it out and again make your game is our website we'd love to see you there and we very much look forward to seeing that. Sir, thank you so, so much. Sure thing. Thanks, Paco. Have a great day. Well, I think he actually had a lot of very, very good advice to give. And I really hope it will be seriously, I genuinely hope it will be useful at some level and uh, if you've done something different do you have a, your, your own trick to actually sell your games or to maximize sales even if it is in another field do you do you do something that you think it could be applied to the rpg industry because it would be very interested to, to do some a bit of cross-pollination and find out what can be done to help people sell their games and get to even more people Thank you, thank you, seriously, thank you very much indeed for your time. And please do let us know what you think about Jason's advice and, and the podcast. Follow me on Twitter, I am at GMS Magazine, and feel free to find us in Facebook. There's a link in the show notes. And uh, to check out our um, Patreon campaign, please. Uh, anything is very useful indeed. So even if it is just one dollar, if you can spare a dollar a month, that would be truly appreciated. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel because we're doing an awful lot of videos and we're going to do even more, hopefully, very soon indeed. But your help will be much appreciated. Thank you once again. I'll talk to you very soon.